Chris, we're back again. I'm driving this one. Welcome. You can have a few drinks while I drive. Uh, it's only fair. <laughs> Responsibility 101. That's what we do here. It has been Poops Podcast. Um, we're going to start off a little bit differently. Matisse Steibel. He's uh, been traded, as we spoke about last podcast. Pretty cool thing he did on the way out of Philly. Do you want to speak about I, it? I loved it. I I think Matisse Thibault endeared himself to the Australian public. He certainly endeared himself to, to you and I. I know how many positive things I've had to say about him. And the video came out that went viral the day after, on, apparently on his way to the airport or the night before he flew out where he jumped a fence and there's a massive mural or street art piece of Matisse Thibault with his arms outstretched and he jumped the fence with his can of spray paint and just essentially signed, thank you, Philly, Matisse Thibel. I just thought it was a really cool gesture. It was done in incredibly positive spirit. Um, probably speaks to the type of person Matisse Thibel is. And I've spoken to a few people since. There's talk about them putting a big Perspex uh, cover over the top of the wall, almost like they do with Banksy Street Arts to make sure they preserve it. So. I thought in all of the the turbulence and the emotion that goes around NBA trade deadline coming up, I just thought that was a really, really nice story to come out of the whole lot. You've been around it. Tell us what it is like during that trade deadline period for players in the locker room. What what sort of feeling do you get if you're nervous that you're going to get – is everyone nervous that they're going to get traded at – at the end of the day? I was too naive to know that I was probably being spoken about. I got traded in the off-season. I, I got a phone call from Donnie Nelson. Pretty much, hey, how are you going? Just ringing to let you know you've been traded to the Bulls. Um, you've got a report there in 48 hours. We wish you all the best. It was a nice civil conversation, but I had no inkling that it was coming. It was a regular phone call before mobile phones, and he called my apartment and Pretty much I turned up to the training facility, emptied my locker the next day. No one was there. Uh, I had John George living with me at the time and he drove one of the cars to the, drove one of the cars to Chicago. I put another one on a truck and we had to pack up an apartment in 24 hours, um, report in and move into a self-contained unit until we found a place to stay in Chicago. So... I was probably fortunate I didn't have a family and didn't have my children back then. That would have been a really difficult time. But, you know, the stories I hear today, and it's not so much the players that I feel for because they can do their job anywhere. Oftentimes it's their partners and their kids who can't. Um, they've got their circle of friends away from basketball. Kids are in schools. And I think probably the hardest thing and the, the ones I feel for are when a young family has to pick up and take their kids out of school. It's hard for kids to make friends at the best of times, but to up and move them every few years is really, really tricky on young children. So 
that's where my thought goes at trade deadline time and, um, yeah, more so the families and the players themselves. Said you're naive to even know that you've been spoken about in trades at that, that time and being the off-season. After it happened, were you still like, why? Or were you just eager for a new opportunity at that stage in a new club? That's really deflating um, to think that they're like, yeah, you're not good enough, we don't need you anymore. And I was only traded for a second-round draft pick, so clearly that was where they perceived my value. Uh, the Bulls, of course, told me when I walked in they were wrapped that they could get me so cheaply and they thought they'd have to put up a first-round draft. Um, now it's really deflating. It's like a breakup in any sort of business or personal relationship. You feel like you've just been dumped. Um, clearly, there are other elements when you start talking about the higher-profile players where they dictate the moves themselves. But for, for me, it felt like that and it took a little while to get over. Um but again, you, you know, as we always hear, you realise it's just a business and you're just um, a pawn in their bigger game and they made the choice they needed to make for the club. I guess it's a good thing that it did happen in the off-season, not in the regular season, if you had that sort of mindset that it would take it. Maybe, maybe it would have helped if it happened during season because you just get to start playing straight away and, and whatnot. But, yeah, interesting. And it was always interesting to me never been in that situation and I've always thought about what if the possibility of trades happened in the NBL and, and how would that work and, and you're right first and foremost you think of young families and uprooting the NBL players don't get paid enough for that to happen but uh, it, it is an interesting concept in the NBA it definitely makes us talk a lot more about the NBA in the mid-season uh, more than what you would in any other league in the world basically uh, and which is all good. Um, New Zealand Tasmania, game one of the semi final. Uh, New Zealand walking away, twenty point winners in the end. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game? Yeah, really comfortable. Probably the same type of thought that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. That it seems that. Tasmania continually overachieve, and I've I said to someone I've stopped picking against them because they have a way of bobbing up and the style of play that they put out every game is relentless on the defensive end and they don't take possessions off. But we mentioned last week they're still, in my opinion, they have less talent across the board and at the very top end than the teams they're coming against. Um, I thought that was New Zealand. I thought New Zealand out-talented them. They had more athleticism. They had more skill. They had deeper rotation with Tasmania missing two key players and um, as great and as competitive as Tasmania have been, you know, a game down in that series makes it really, really hard. I, I still think that it'll be a really competitive game in Tasmania in game two, but it's hard to see them winning two in a row against New Zealand. I, I, you've been higher on New Zealand this season than what I have. I, I still thought they might be a little bit inconsistent and Tassie might find a way to grind them in the, into the ground, but you'd be reasonably comfortable with New Zealand advancing. Yeah, absolutely. I still think this is going to go to a three-game series. I think Tasmania will bounce back. The reason I've been high on New Zealand is they were built for playoff basketball, the way that they play. Very Ryan Gorgon-like, where if five guys are fouling, how do you call a foul on every single person on a possession? Um 
Tom Abercrombie as their number one perimeter defender uh, has been fantastic since coming back from that. He, he doesn't need to be – he can still be your spot-up three-point shooter, but he usually takes the number one assignment on, on the perimeter. And then you've got Brantley and Pardon, who I think are really great fits for this league defensively. Uh, Brantley can obviously put the ball in the hole a little bit more. Pardon, you don't need to run a play for him. He'll rebound for you. He'll seal for you on the low block. He'll get his little hooks and he'll get you 10 points a game. But more importantly is what he brings on the defensive end. Not necessarily as far as rim protection, but his pick and roll coverage is excellent. Um, I've been really high on him this season for that reason. And uh, that that's a team that, you know, whoever comes out of the other bracket, they're going to have to work for their points. At the end of the day, it's on. We've got a defensive bracket and we've got an offensive bracket on the other side. The defensive bracket is definitely uh, going to be more uh, slug it out type of matchup at the end of the day. But I, I'd expect New Zealand to get the job done. And and Will McDowell White has been fantastic. Uh, I was I was going to mention Will McDowell White from the moment we watched him live playing for the Boomers uh, this NBL off season. He was. Really, really impressive. Um, he's taking his game. He drives that team. He picks his moments as, as to when he's a scorer, when he's a distributor. He, he plays with great pace. He can play fast and slow. And that's, it sounds crazy. That's really rare to be really effective in the ability to do that as effectively uh, in multiple paces, depending on the game. So he's been the one for me that's really impressed me this entire season. Two seasons ago, Mitch McCarron got a huge offer from Adelaide. They were calling him money-making Mitch. Where do you see Will McDowell-White versus a Mitch McCarron from two years ago? I I love McDowell-White's aggressiveness better, I I think. And, I mean, let's not back back up over the the Mitch conversation because I I think he's an incredibly talented player and and you never know if it's directed from coaching staff or it's his own choice, but... You know, I just think that he can be an elite point guard in the league. And I think McDowell White's gone past him this year in the roles that they've been given in their respective teams. And uh, McDowell White, I think, has as much talent around him potentially as what McCarron does. But again, his effectiveness still comes from finding his own moments as well to go and find baskets and create shots and and impact the game to then free up his teammates a bit more again. So I just think, yeah, I think for me, yeah, McDowell White's gone past McCarron this season, but it could potentially just be the role they've been given by their head coaches. It would be remiss of me not to, as a scout, not to talk about Ryan Repair, but I thought the opening of the game, his aggressiveness to the rim, uh, the ability to make a, a one-on-one steal versus Milton Doyle early in the game and pick his pocket. Um, this kid is the best two-way player that the next star, next-gen program has brought to the NBL so far. We've had Josh Giddy, who's obviously been electric offensively. We've had uh, Lamelo Ball, who's been electric offensively, uh, had Usman Jiang at the end of last year, who was very great offensively. We haven't had a defensive player like this in in this Next Stars program before, and um, 
you know, if Usman Diang went as high as what he did last year, surely Rupert goes a little bit higher than him value-wise. I think in hindsight, OKC probably went a little bit too, went the overs on the long game with Usman. But um, I definitely see Ryan as a better player than what Usman was. Well, he's slated, what is he, 15 to 20 on most mock drafts that I see. But for me, the most impressive part with his game is that I'm on record as saying that as an NBL franchise, you effectively make a choice. Do we want to have a next star that it will be very successful and get drafted high, or do we want to win? He is the first next star that's come into the NBL that will absolutely be drafted mid-first round at worst, but be an active part of a winning NBL season. Giddy wasn't. Lamelo wasn't. We, we haven't seen that yet. So that, I think, would stand out in scouts' eyes as well, that this kid's a winner and that he, competing, he can compete and get his numbers and impact the game in games that matter, not just games that they're getting blown out by losing by double, double digits. So uh, really impressive. Also, the hardest worker apparently in the gym. The guy, no, yeah, no surprise. Um, we saw the end of the Perth Wildcats the other day. Uh, an undermanned Cairns team getting it done versus the Wildcats. Wildcats travelling from Perth to beat Southeast Melbourne in the last quarter up to Cairns to play. They looked flat. They looked down. Um, I've got my thoughts on their roster. Let's hear yours first. I think, again, it's brand new. Two words, Nick Kay. I think he fixes everything if they can convince him to come back. Um, he's, too much, he's worth too much now, they can't. Sure, but that's what they need that. If they can go and rebuild that, even someone... It's you know what there just haven't been enough really impactful import bigs over the last two decades. I, I just think that the successful teams will spend their import money on their backcourt. Um, that's the formula for winning. If you're going to have an import big, it's got to be your third import or your lowest paid import who. Is a role player, a screen setter, a rebounder, but not someone that you depend on to go and get points. I just didn't, I, you know, when it really mattered, I know the Perth Wildcats. And so I think John really did a good job. I, I think he adjusted on the fly. I think he got handed a difficult assignment with the roster he was given. It, it, it wasn't his team. I think the team that they put together will have his fingerprints over it next year. But you've got stronger thoughts. I know you're living in WA, you've got your finger on the pulse. What do you think? Well, moving forward, obviously, you're going to keep the Webster brothers and you're going to keep Cotton. I think they're the three certainties to stay at the end of the day. Do you think the creates, Webster brothers are certainties? To stay? What, do you, what think, they they, do you think they should be? Um, I think Corey Webster has, has shown this year that he could be the the second option to a Cotton I, d I didn't like their offense that they ran this year. I think it was too 
too heavily slated to still one-on-one play at the end. I think Scott Morrison found out the hard way that ball movement, for liking Trevor Gleeson or not, the one thing that he was really good at was misdirection at the end of the day. And so it wasn't always towards uh, Cotton. And Cotton really got open in the fourth quarter a lot more because of the action in the first three quarters. So I think they keep the Webster brothers. I think they keep Bryce Cotton. But where and what they found out this year is when you have those three on the court or as it was at the start of the year, Norton, Webster, Cotton, is you have a real deficiency on the boards. Brady Manick, as well as his shot in the back half of this season, is not a rebounder for you guys. Uh, a Jarrell Brantley would be a much more suited physical defender, rebounder, that can still put the ball in the hole. And then they had to Sean Thomas, who I rated pretty highly myself, but he's an undersized five in this league. And when he was starting the offense, he was at the top of the key. So now you've got your best rebounder at the top of the key with a non-rebounding four-man with four little midgets, uh, three little midgets running around the court. No wonder you only won two or three rebounding contests for the season. That's not wildcat basketball. That. I grew up knowing that I grew up playing against at the end of the day. Their their defensive identity was horrendous at the end of the day as well. You, you uh, know what? It's a lot of that will be allocated to the coach and probably as it should be. But we said last season when when Brian Gorgian left the Illawarra Hawks is that it's when somebody like that leaves is that you'll understand completely the importance of him to the club. And we saw Illawarra this year go and win, what, three games. That's not a knock on anyone who comes in after him. That just shows you how great Gorge is. Damien Martin is the same. I I still don't think people understand how important and impactful Damien Martin was because not only did he provide exactly what you've just described, he demanded it of everybody else from from within the playing group. I just think that the Perth Wildcats right now, they always knew that they would miss Damian Martin. And I know other players have retired as well, but for me, he's the one that drove exactly what you described and they need that toughness. But the other thing they were able to do... He wasn't the only one though. Let's let's talk about it. Greg Hire coming off the bench. No, no, sorry, there were others, of course, but he's the one. Yeah, but... but there was a collective group that drove it. There wasn't an individual. Damo was the spearhead of the defensive end and the defensive identity, and you could pass any high-level coach. They always talk about the point guard being the front door to your house at the end of the day, and Damo was the protector of that front door. But he had people, obviously, Cotton. Cotton, as good as he is offensively, he does amazingly defensively as well. Uh, for his height and what he's able to do. But they had people like Greg High. They had people like Tom Jervis that came in, knew what their role is. My role is to rebound, protect the rim, set hard screens. Like, do you remember any time during a Wildcats game this year where they set a hard screen outside of the one that caught Lockie Barker in the in the chin well, I mean, again, that, that, that's where that's where it's been flipped, isn't it? That the money was two big imports, and local backcourt. I think they've got the, the wrong way around to, to be competitive. It, it, it's pretty simple. But you're right. 
all the Wildcats' success of late has been built around a Nick Kay foreman, a John Mooney foreman, who is able to score but is able to defend at a very high level at the end of the day. And um, I guess it's going to be a watch this space for for the Wildcats this offseason, um, see what Hutchie does, see what JR does and who he brings in at the end of the day. Um, it's going to be interesting times out here in the West and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll all be hearing about it very soon. Um, moving on, the next semi-final series, Sydney Kings, Cairns, Taipans. This is the offensive side of the bracket that I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, it um, is. Obviously, the Taipans are going to be without Keanu Pinder, who had facial surgery in uh, Brisbane on Monday. Um, there's a question mark over Tajir McCall. Jeez, I love what DJ Hogue did. <laughs> DJ Hogue, Bull he Ball, was great. Sam uh, Shannon Scott. They were unreal versus the Wildcats the other day. And, um, they're just a fun team to watch. I just love watching them. They are. And, and we, we've spoken, you know what, we spoke so much about the Taipans last week and I, I think everything that we described was positive. And, you know, the, the only question mark I, I think I've got around the king, they've, they've sat out for a long time now. Uh, they haven't played a game in, in a long time and there's an element of rust that can creep in and can, the, the advantage that Cairns have, and they'll be probably hanging their hat on this, is that, They've got their game legs underneath them and they're battle ready. That they need to be a, to be a chance. The Taipans need to come and punch the Kings in the face early um, to really put them on their bed. If it's comfortable for the Kings and the Kings can get up and down the floor as they find their feet in the first quarter, I think they've just got too much for anyone in this league. Let you know, let alone a, a team missing two starters. Um, but as you said and as you've described well, the, the Taipans will fight. They'll get every ounce out of what they've got. DJ Hogue could very well go for 30 if the Kings aren't careful again because he will come out with the greenest of green lights to, to score the basketball. I don't see McCall getting up. Separated shoulders, not something you come back from in a week and a half. So I, 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 would, I would imagine he'll miss. Um, looking forward to watching the game, mate. Lucas Walker came back from a separated shoulder in a week. So to Jim McGraw can as well, as far as I'm concerned. The Sydney Kings, for me, will just have a little bit too much polish. They might take that first half just to get their legs underneath them. Uh, but I think the one thing that's been spoken about the Kings the entire season is their incredible depth. Um, they seem to have had another fair or well, uh, a good run of injuries. Um, they've, yes, they've had a little problems here and there with Cooks's ankle, Derek Walton Jr., but they've, they've been able to get away with nothing severe at this stage. Um, but once again, come playoff time, I think it's going to be part of that bench crew that makes the difference, the Angus Glovers, the Sean Bruces, the Quatnoys. Uh, I'm sure Quatnoy wants nothing more than to knock the Taipans out of this playoff run after being pretty much dumped from them this offseason. But Adam Ford has gone on record at the start of the season and saying, I built this roster to beat the Kings in the playoffs. So he's the two got guys, that opportunity. The two guys they're missing are a pretty big part of that. Yeah, they've got that opportunity at the end of the day. And um, uh, look, 
if they played defense like they played against the Wildcats the other day, I'd give them a chance because what they did really well was run people off the three-point line, make them shoot that mid-range floater um, over a contested hand, and they rebound the hell out of the ball. But they'll need a massive game from Bullqual in each game for them to be a chance going forward. Lelani Mitchell, she uh, signed with the Flyers for the rest of the season. How's this? Uh, this oh. is a little bit closer to home for you, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, no, look, it's just it, with everything we do, we want to make sure we keep the WNBL in mind. We, we keep the women's side of the game front of mind as well. But, geez, the WNBL makes it hard. That, And the thing is th- there needs to be clarity to be able to bring in – and. It, let me preface this first. I love the fact that Leilani Mitchell's making a return to the basketball court after having a baby. I love that she's able to do that. And three games to go in the season and you can bring in an Opal. Uh, what's that? I mean, it's it just... It how, t- how, 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 did, how can you bring in an Opal three games before the end of the season? Well, the, the, and again, there's a grey area around the rules that if you lose a player representing her country, you can replace that player. Now, whether or not that they've said Lauren Jackson's injury came as, as a result of representing her country months ago, um, or whether or not Leilani was injured representing her country a while back, I know... There have been other teams who have tried to sign Rebecca Allen who got injured representing her country at the last Women's World Cup. But, uh, look, it's just, again, to be able to just stack your team. Again, I take on board they're missing Lauren. It's an interesting signing. I wasn't sure they needed a point guard, but I, I just don't like the optics of being able to bring a player in with three games left into a season, especially when you're assured a playoff spot. Um, it doesn't sit well with me. I think there needs to be a cutoff date. We've had this conversation around the NBA about a trade deadline. I think there needs to be a free agent signing deadline in any league. There is in the NBL. For most players in the WNBL, for other players, you can't bring in an import that with that, you know with less than seven games remaining. Every other player needs to play seven games, but there's an asterisk in and around injuries that happen representing your country. So I think they need to tidy that up. Let's see how Leilani goes. Um, she battled a bit in her last season at Bendigo. Um, but for me, you know, I think the Flyers are talented enough to give this thing a shake with the roster they've already got. It's just created, I don't know, a negative conversation, a grey area, an asterisk around them, again, loading up and pretty much saying, hey, we can spend as much money as we, as we need to go and buy a championship. And I think to do that so late in the season just, Sits badly with me. Well, it's, um, I mean, I'll just follow up on the WNBL. We saw LJ in her last game with the poor social media presence as well in that game. I think the WNBL needs a overhaul at the end of the day. Is there still talks of Larry Kesselman taking over no, I, I don't think so. I, th- I think you'll find that Larry Kesterman sells the NBL before he buys the WNBL. There's conversations ongoing about him actually getting out of the NBL, which 
is probably a bigger story than a 30-second mention here, but, um, yeah, probably a watch this space on that one. There you go. Chris, that's all we got for today. <laughs> uh, I know we've been uh, wrapping out the podcast lately, which is good. It's exciting times. Uh, you're, you're heading to LA soon? I'm right? heading to LA. We'll, we'll get another one done. We'll, we'll get into this semi-final series. I'm heading across to LA to see Izzy. Um, my daughter, of course, playing at UCLA. So I'll get to see her or their last three games and uh, take my little seven-year-old son Hunter up to Stanford and a few nights in LA and have it throw a few meetings in there while I'm there and we might have to see how the, the audio goes when I'm over there and cross our fingers that it works better than what it did when I was in New York. But it's great that there's plenty to speak about. We'll do a couple more before I head over and uh, I'm sure as soon as we, we hang up from this and we, uh, we put it into production, there'll be something happen. We're right on our list and we'll have to talk about it in a few days, but it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Until next time, see ya.